It's always, it's always good to be with you. And uh, we're coming to the end of the second epistle of Peter as we've been going through it, as I've been going through it on the Sundays that I've been here. And um, in this final chapter, um, of course, the original letter was just a letter, didn't have chapters or verses, it was just a letter, uh, but just for convenience, we've got them divided it up. But this last section we're looking at, known as chapter 3, uh, starts off with this statement, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, uh, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Does that sound familiar? Remember earlier in the letter he says the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm reminding you of these things. I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. So again, we have this urgency from Peter. And that word, that stirring up that he mentions, uh, the Greek word means to, to awaken, to, to uh, arouse, to fully awaken. So he wants to awaken us, um, to stir up our pure minds and the pure, that, that idea of a clear, a clear, pure mind is not clouded. It's not, doesn't have cobwebs or, or dirt, but he's trying to, to shake that stuff out of our minds so that we can have uh, clarity and uh, discernments in our minds. So that's why he's writing these things. And he says, I write this to stir up your way, to stir up your pure minds by reminding you, by reminding you of two things, he says. The first thing, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. The second thing, and reminding you of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So there's two things that he's, he's wanting to use to, to shake our minds and of, of all the dust and cobwebs and dirt and to give us uh, clarity and discernment. And uh, it's the, the words of the holy prophets spoken before and the commandment of us, the apostles, the Lord and Savior. So let's consider the first thing, the words of the, of the, the holy prophets. Well, if you look at the holy prophets from Genesis uh, to Malachi, even though each, each prophet was in his own time, his own historical context, the message is, is a unified message. There's really two things in, in the messages of the prophets. And uh, one is that the Lord is serious about judgment, that the Lord will judge sin. The second is that the Lord will bring salvation for his people. So it's both a sobering and it's also an encouragement to us who, who know the voice of Jesus, who have been saved by him and have experienced his grace. But think about uh, one of the earliest prophecies in the scripture. Of course, I think probably the first prophecy uh, given in Genesis 3, 15, I believe it is, mm -hmm. you know, that, that the, the, the seed of the woman, who we now know as Jesus, will crush the head of the serpent and all, that, all of his works, the works of sin and death. Um, <clears throat> but the first, uh, one of the earliest prophecies is referred to in Jude, in Jude, uh, verses 13 and 14, <clears throat> where it says, or, sorry, uh, verses 14 and 15. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, the Lord. So that's uh, one of the earliest prophecies. And then you go to, to the, 
in the book of Genesis. And then you go to Malachi at the very end, the, the last chapter of Malachi, the last book in, in our Old Testament as it's ordered, and uh, a book that's considered, uh, I think the general consensus is that Malachi was one of the last, if not the last um, prophet uh, to, to write. Um, so at, and at the end of Malachi, chapter 4, listen to this. <clears throat> he says, For behold, the day is coming. It's the day of the Lord. It's a repeated theme in all of the, the words of the prophets. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. There's a finality to this day that he's speaking of. But to you who fear my name... This is great encouragement to us as people because if we think about, if, if we see our heart, our own hearts, and we, we uh, acknowledge our sin that all we like sheep have gone astray, those words of judgment are, are, are frightening. But he continues and he says, To you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Healing in his wings. Of course, I think I mentioned this last time that the Son has a unique power to both heal and destroy. Right? The same sun that brings needed healing to our bodies. You know, one of the, the worst things you can do to a prisoner of war is keep them out of the sunlight for, you know, for, for a long period of time. We need the sun. But yet, if you get close to the sun, it'll burn you up. It can burn. I can destroy plants in my garden. I just uh, started a garden this year. I've got some peppers and tomatoes. And I'm anxious for them to, to bear fruit. But the sun, too much sun and they die. Not enough sun, they won't live. But the Son here, the Son of Righteousness, who we know is the Lord Jesus, shall arise with healing in His wings for those who fear His name. <clears throat> so you have this, <clears throat> this repeated theme of the, the coming day of the Lord, the words spoken before by the holy prophets. And Peter wants us to remember these things, to stir us up, to wake us up, to arouse us from slumber or, or dullness by reminding us of these words of the Holy Prophets. And the second thing he mentions is the, the commandment of the apostles, which are uh, the, the sent ones, apostles, the sent ones of Jesus. So the message they bring, the commandment they bring, is the commandment of Jesus. I want you to consider uh, what, what Paul says in his gospel presentation in Athens on the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. He says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. So again, Paul is looking at and reminding this, or he's, he's proclaiming to this audience in Athens that there is coming a day when God will judge the living and the dead according to Jesus and his righteousness. And he also holds out the command, the commandment of Jesus, which is to repent for salvation. He says he commands all people everywhere to repent. And repentance, of course, is a turning. It's a turning away from something 
but not merely a turning away, but a turning to. Right? We, we probably all have experienced in our lives, uh, perhaps someone we know, um, who has had an outward change from a particular behavior that's not good. You can think of many recovery programs. Somebody goes in with an addiction and they, on the outside, you know, they walk away from a certain addictive pattern, but, but if there's no turning towards God and, uh, and faith in Him, there's no true heart change, true repentance, and that will, they'll just be turning from one idol to another. That's our nature. So repentance here, of course, is repentance toward God. It's from sin, but repentance towards God. <clears throat> so the two things that I believe Peter is reminding, is using to re, uh, reminding us of and using to stir us up are the commands of the holy prophets, <clears throat> the uh, the prophets, the the words of the holy prophets, and the command uh, to repent and believe the gospel. So. <clears throat> He says, in reminding us of these things, he's careful to, to note and to let us know that there will be scoffers. There will be scoffers in the last day saying, well, where is this promise of his coming? If all these holy prophets have been talking about his coming, he's, he's coming to judge the living and the dead, where is this? And he says, forever since the beginning of creation, they say, things have been going just as they always have been. And things will continue as they always have been. Have you, have you heard that from someone before? <clears throat> this is the attitude of those who what? Look at verse 3. Who are walking according to their own lusts, their own sinful desires. They want to go their way. And that's all of us apart from the grace of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. When we want to go our own way, we don't want to be accountable to a holy God. We don't want it to have any authority over our lives. So the easiest way to, to, to not have to deal with that is to deny it even exists. <clears throat> they will come walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is this promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they always have been from the beginning. But what does Peter say? He says, this they willfully forget. First of all, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. Creation is here because God spoke a word and it came to pass, right? We read in Isaiah a little bit earlier in the, in the Old Testament reading that when God speaks a word, it accomplishes its purpose for which it is sent. It does not return void. When God said, let there be light, there was light. <clears throat> so they deliberately forget that this world is here because of the word spoken by God. And this is the same God that has spoken the word that I behold, I am coming again. The same God who spoke the word in creation is the same God who speaks the word. I am coming again. And he says they deliberately forget that. They deliberately forget that the earth was created out of water and standing in the water by which the world that then existed also perished, being flooded with water. They deliberately forget something that the Scripture testifies to us, that God brought judgment to the world once already when He destroyed all living things except for Noah and his family 
and all the animals that he had brought onto the ark. God destroyed the earth. They deliberately and willfully forget that. Again, that's the idea of willful, deliberate. There's a reason they're, they're forgetting that. Because if, if we want to walk in our own way, according to our own desires, our own sinful desires, we don't want to hear that God, that there is a judge who is serious about judgment, judging sin. You know, it's interesting. The scripture, not only the scripture testifies, but the world, testi- the, the, the creation testifies also to these things, right? Psalm 19 reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmaments pro- proclaim his handiwork. God has, has left a witness that's clear, that speaks clearly to his glory, to his creation. Um, if any of you have ever done any reading or research into um, some creation science, uh, some of the, the uh, creation science uh, organizations or uh, Answers in Genesis guys, different guys, have done a lot of uh, research and, uh, and have shown, I think, very, uh, very aptly how the fossil record, for example, and geological formations really testify to God's creation and testify to the flood, really, the, the reality of this flood that the Scripture tells us about. The, you know, all the marine fossils on all the mountaintops of the world, um, the existence of fossils to begin with, fossilization, which requires very specific conditions. So these things testify to the catastrophic, I believe, to the catastrophic flood that um, the Scriptures tell us about. And we know that what the Scriptures tell us are true. The Scripture, the Word of God is true. Um, but they deliberately forget those things. Evolution being pushed so heavily as a way of escaping the reality of God's judgment. Um, I believe even uh, in, in recent years with the LGBTQ plus community uh, using the rainbow. I mean, if you, if you have a picture of a rainbow uh, in someone's front yard, what's the immediate thing that you think that they're, are they uh, testifying to? Are they testifying to God's covenant sign to, to Noah? No. To, they're promoting, uh, they're testifying to the promotion of a, a lifestyle that is counter to what God, the way God has created us. And I, I believe that's a demonic diversion from the flood because God's covenant with Noah came because of his judgment when he said, I will never again flood the earth as I have done so. So you see this, this willful uh, forgetting of what God has done. <clears throat> And again, these, these are, are ways um, that man ignores uh, God's authority in our lives, God's judgment on sin, and uh, it's a way of pursuing after our own desires. <clears throat> but Peter reminds us, the heavens and the earth are now, which, which are now, are preserved by the same word that God used to create. The same word that God spoke to create is the same word that God continues to speak as he upholds creation moment by moment. And the world is currently reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men, is verse 7. So we're reminded that just as God was serious about the flood, so he is serious about the coming, the next coming judgment. <clears throat> but he re- uh, it's interesting here in verse 7. 
he speaks of this judgment of fire. What does fire do? It burns, but also purifies. It purifies. Again, that allusion to the sun that rises with healing in its wings. It burns the wicked like stubble. It brings healing to those who fear his name. <clears throat> so, Peter wants us to be aware of these scoffers so that we don't fall into the same temptation. As, as his followers, we can, take, we can look at the same thing and think, these words were written thousands of years ago. And where are we today? We look around at our world and still see wickedness. As the writer of Hebrews mentions, he says, we, we do not yet see all things in submission to him, even though he is Lord of all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, but we do not yet see all things in submission. And have you been vexed in your soul, wondering how long, O Lord? How long? Or perhaps you've been lulled to think, well, it's really not a big deal, you know, walking in sin because, hey, the way things have been, the way they'll always be, <clears throat> Peter wants to, to remind you not to fall into that trap. And he says uh, in verse 8, He's, I believe he's addressing that the idea that I'm sure all of us have been tempted to, to, to despair. Lord, are you really coming again? You know, behold, I am coming soon, says the Lord in Revelation. It's been 2,000 years. Peter in his first epistle mentions, he says, the end of all things is near or is at hand. It's been 2,000 years. Perhaps you're, you're, you're weary and saying, how long, O Lord? But Peter reminds us, beloved, don't be tempted to think that the Lord's not going to keep his promise. Because with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God's timetable is not our timetable, right? Again, in that Isaiah 55 passage, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My timetable is not your timetable. In verse 9, this is beautiful. <clears throat> Peter reminds us, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. It's not that he's, he's, he's getting caught up with something or got busy with something and forgot or like, well, I got to wait a little bit longer. <clears throat> he says, it's not that way, the way we count slowness, slackness among others or among ourselves. But the Lord is long suffering towards us. He's patient, long-suffering, patiently enduring with us, not willing that any should perish, but rather that all should come to repentance. And here's that reminder of the great command that he's stirring up, trying to, to stir up our minds with, right? The great command to repent, to turn to the Lord, believe, and follow him. The Lord is willing, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as I was uh, just reading and meditating on this, this passage here, I was thinking, man, if the Lord had come 25, 30 years ago, <clears throat> there was a time in my life where I was not walking with the Lord. And I don't, I don't have, that, have that confidence that I would have been with the Lord in that day. That would have been a terrible day for me had the Lord come. The Lord was gracious and merciful and He, he delayed His coming so that I, could come to know him by his grace. 
And perhaps you can, can uh, relate as well. Perhaps there was a time in your life where you can see God in delaying His judgment has been merciful to me and gracious to me. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says <clears throat> in 1 Timothy. When he's writing to Timothy, this is chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, that same word, that, that patient endurance, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. God, Paul, Paul recognizes really understands that God's mercy, God's grace to him, and even delaying his salvation was in order that God might display the riches of his mercy towards Paul. He allowed in his sovereignty Paul to be to, to chase after um, his sin and rebellion and persecuting Jesus, persecuting his church, but in order that he might be saved and display the riches of God's mercy. You know, Paul also writes in Romans 2.4 where he says, <clears throat> he says, do you despise the riches of His goodness, His forbearance, and the long-suffering, that patient endurance, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God's patient endurance, His long-suffering is to lead us to repentance. <clears throat> Are you discouraged perhaps with a, a prodigal uh, loved one, a family member, or someone close to you? Don't give up interceding for them and, and be encouraged and remember that God is patiently enduring in order that, that all might come to repentance and might display the riches of His mercy and His grace. But don't forget, God's timetable is not our timetable. And the day of the Lord will come. And it will come as a what? What does he say? As a thief in the night. When a thief comes and steals, he's not coming at a time when you're, waiting, you're planning on him coming, right? <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't be successful. A thief comes when you don't expect it. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, will be exposed. Therefore, knowing this, since these things are to be dissolved in this manner, what manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? So, there, there are two things that I want us to remember <clears throat> that I, I believe the passage wants us to remember. The first God's patient endurance, His long-suffering, is grace towards us. It's in order that men might come to repentance and be saved. And two, that because the day of the Lord is coming, we ought to live lives in keeping with repentance, to look to that day and walk soberly, and to walk in the grace of God. Remember at the very beginning of this letter, he says, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So it's through knowledge of God and through knowledge of Jesus our Lord, through a relationship with Him, that grace and peace comes to us. In verse 3, 
chapter 1, it says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So in, in this final chapter here where he says, What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We're reminded in, the, in this letter that the godliness comes through knowledge of Jesus, through relationship with Him, through, through pursuing Him in His Word and in prayer, through uh, listening to the preaching of the Word, through fellowship. <clears throat> and in these things, we grow in godliness as we eagerly, eagerly wait for His coming and for our salvation. In verse 14, he says, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Again, that, that same word diligence as was found in the first chapter where he reminds us to be diligent to, through the grace of God, to, to add to um, our godliness, uh, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, uh, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and, and love, and these things. <clears throat> To be diligent, to be found in Him, to found by Him in peace. And who is our peace? Scriptures tell us in Ephesians that Jesus is, the, is our peace. We have peace through Him, through His blood on the cross. So make uh, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So, again, God's, God's patient endurance, his long-suffering of the sin and wickedness, does not mean he's not coming, but it means salvation for us. So we should be encouraged by that, to remember <clears throat> that God is patient towards us, He's given us grace to live lives of godliness as we await His coming. And we also ought to have His same His burden for souls as we go out and preach the gospel, hold out the word of life, say, repent, for the Lord is coming. Repent and believe that you too might be saved, that you too might inherit the promises that we read about in Revelation that we, we heard earlier this morning or this afternoon, the promise of a new heavens and new earth where the dwelling of God is with man and where every tear is wiped away, where sin is no more and where we as His people are finished with our struggles with sin. We're finished with our struggles with physical suffering. We will be with Him forever. So we look forward to these things as we wait, knowing the Lord will keep His promises. And uh, the last verse, he says, <clears throat> or the last two verses, You therefore, beloved, since you know th these things beforehand, since you know these things are true, beware lest you also f fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked who deny that He's coming again. Those who deny even it even exists, but rather grow in the grace in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Draw near to Jesus as we await His coming. I'd like to end reading from uh, Titus. Some words I, I 
think are very uh, fitting and encouraging. This is from Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And the same grace, in verse 12, is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, walking away from them, turning from them and turning to God, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might deem us from every lawless deed that we've ever done, and that he might purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the grace that you so richly poured out to us. We thank you for your patient endurance, Lord, I was, I was convicted even, even this morning of my lack of, of uh, long-suffering uh, with others. And yet you've been so uh, patiently, so patient with me in long-suffering. God, we thank you that your long-suffering is for our salvation, for our good. And that your long-suffering is that more should come to repentance, to come to know you, Jesus as the one true Savior, the one true Lord. God, we thank you that you are coming again. We thank you that you will make all things new, that you will wipe away every tear, that you will remove every sin, that you will remove all suffering, and that we will dwell with you in the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. We thank you, Lord, for this word. Uh, continue to fill our hearts with patient endurance, with uh, clarity of mind and heart, and that we would walk in your ways by your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.